because I was a little girl that grew up where there wasn't any role models and you, you, know, you couldn't aspire to, to, to work as a professional athlete, as, as a coach. In my family, um, I've probably achieved the most out of us four siblings. And then I look at what the boys get and what they're doing and I'm like, oh, it's so annoying. Have a look at that. The three Aussie ladies, Eloise Wellings, Madeline Hills and Celia Sullihan, just waiting for Linio Chaka of Lesotho to finish. More than five minutes behind the winner. It just showed, I guess, the influence that we have as sports people and and the power of humanity and the power of vulnerability, I guess, as well. It's one of the areas that um, we're actually trying to grapple with right now and what's the right path for, for talented young players. Um, it would be foolish to think that a talented young player is going to turn down you know, significant sums of money. to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Sport Integrity Australia's podcast Onside. I'm Tim Gable. In this episode, we look at women in sport, featuring an interview with the legendary Heather Mackay, a champion in four different sports. There's a segment on sportsmanship as we relive a special moment from the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. And we speak to baseball's Michael Crooks on the way forward for sport. As discussed in our first episode, Sport Integrity Australia would like to remind athletes about changes to the regulation of sports supplements. Introduced by the Therapeutic Goods Administration from the 30th of November 2020, in order for sports supplements with therapeutic claims containing high-risk ingredients to be advertised and supplied, they must also meet legislated requirements that ensure the safety, quality and efficacy for medicines including advertising. Sport Integrity Australia has launched our Secondary Schools Resource Kit designed to provide teachers with the essential tools related to sport and integrity. The resources fit within the year 9 to 12 units that cover integrity, ethics and anti-doping topics and the nutritional needs of athletes. If you'd like more details, simply head to the Sport Integrity Australia website. Now to the progression made by Australia when it comes to women in sport. And with that, a magical moment in Australian sport has been achieved by one of our greatest sporting teams. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Congratulations, Australia. The 2020 ICC T20 World Cup champions. The 2020 Women's T20 World Cup final at the MCG earlier this year was seen as a watershed in women's sport, but there's still a long way to go before there's parity. In fairness, there has been significant progression in many sports. Carrie Graffy is regarded as one of Australia's greatest ever basketball coaches, winning seven titles in the WNBL. Carrie also coached the Opals to bronze at the 2012 London Olympic Games. She was also the first Australian female head coach in the WNBA in America. These days, Carrie Graff is the Director of Sport at the University of Canberra. UC owns the licence for the UC Capitals in the WNBL. Carrie is a leading advocate for equality in sport. I think there's been a spotlight on women's sport over the last few years, particularly with the, you know, the inclusion of um, you know, AFLW, cricket. You know, the, the Big Bash um, was, was huge in Melbourne with you know, 
80,000 plus fans. There's certainly been massive movement forward, but I still think there's a massive ways to go. You know, that you know, you look around the the country, and I think out of about 100 um, CEOs of national sporting organisations, there's four women. Um, you know, the, in the high-performance coaching area, the, the numbers haven't shifted um, hugely at all. And, you know, there's still a massive um, gender pay gap in, in women's sport. And I think the needle hasn't shifted on some of those things. Yes, there's been some, some great movement in, you know, there's now AFL, like I said, AFLW, there's super, super rugby for women, there's NRLW. So there's, you know, we've got more competitions for, for women to compete in. But, um, you know, that's just the start of it. You know, they're... They're new competitions where some of them, you know, the salaries are pretty are pretty low if, if there is salaries and, um, you know, there still isn't big television deals for, for women's sport and I think that'll be one of the next big shifts, you know, when do, when do broadcasters, um, you know, not just support but put women's sport on, on television and, and pay for it and, and back it and know that, you know, people will tune in and watch, people will pay to watch women play sport on television. So what needs to happen to force change? We still need a shift in in the you know the decisions around you know who's going to who's going to support financially women's sport and also how they how people um, uh, value a return on investment. Is it just commercial or is there a social element to your uh, return on investment, whether that's through sponsorship or broadcast? And I think a shift in the thinking of what is a return on investment rather than just commercial and eyeballs is um, is something that's that critically needs to be looked at. It's been your goal, hasn't it? Your dream to have fully professional women's sport in Australia across all sports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think because I was a little girl that grew up where there wasn't any role models and, you, you know, you couldn't aspire to, to, to work as a professional athlete, as, as a coach. And, you know, I was fortunate to have a professional coaching career for, you know, 20 plus years. So, um, you know, I, I think we're certainly seeing a shift, a, a shift that um, little girls can can look on television and, and look around the media and go, wow, I could do that for a job. And, and that is a legitimate job. Um, but I still think there's a, a long, long way to go. That's Carrie Graff, regarded by many as one of Australia's greatest ever basketball coaches, winning seven titles in the WNBL. Keely Froling is one of the key players for the UC Capitals. And Keely is also a member of the Australian 3x3 basketball squad preparing for next year's Olympic Games. How do you judge women's sport at the moment, Keely? You're a professional basketball mm-hmm. player in Australia. Yeah. Do you feel as though you're closely getting there in terms of fully professional? Look, I think I have a different perspective because I obviously have two brothers that are in the same position in the men's side and I see what they kind of get and all that sort of thing. So I think we're definitely getting there and I think some clubs are better than the other others. I think we're really lucky at Canberra that we do really push that. Um, but there's, I think, a really long way to go in terms of um, pay and... Um, even just exposure and you know changing people's perceptions of wanting to watch us play and getting them getting us on national tv and those sort of things so i think we're headed in the right direction but there's still a long way to go what, what needs to change, do you think? I think firstly is the exposure and getting us like consistently on TV and getting things out there. You know, people don't even know about our league. We don't know um, about us. Like, we don't get that exposure that the men get. Um, so that starts first. I think in Canberra we're lucky that we do get that, but that needs to be a nationwide thing. And I think um, once we start to get that, then we can build on that a little bit, start to build up sponsors and those sort of things. 
do you sense that there is this sense of unfairness? You're doing the same thing that the male players do? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, in my family, um, I've probably achieved the most out of us four siblings. And then I look at what the boys get and what they're doing, and I'm like, oh, that's so annoying. Um, but, you know, it is it is what it is for now, and hopefully we can make that change. But I think it is a little bit of unfairness at the moment in, with how, you know, we work just as hard, if not harder than them, and aren't rewarded in the same ways. So, yeah. Championship winning basketballer Keely Frolling and obviously there is still a long way to go before we reach equality. To see how far we've travelled though in this space, let's hear from Heather Mackay. Heather is one of Australia's greatest ever sports women. Heather won 16 British Open squash titles in a row, only losing two games in her entire career. She won selection in the All-Australian women's hockey team twice, was the US Open racquetball title holder three times and won the Seniors Tennis Individual and Teams World Championship. An incredible career. In a prime, as a squash player, Heather played as an amateur. Because we were amateurs, we played because we enjoyed the game, basically, um, and kept playing because of that. Um, so we didn't really um, know any different in those days. But when I started to go to England for the British, uh, that's when it came a, a little bit harder because it was very, they were very strict on the amateur status in those days. So we had to watch a, um, anything. You weren't, weren't, were not able to be given anything. So, you know, it was a bit tough. Yes, obviously these days very much about professional sport and making a living out of sport. It's almost hard to comprehend when you look at what you were doing back in those days. Yeah, but I always think that I played in one of the best eras. Yeah. Um, I always think, um, how can I say it? There was no no real pressure, not like it is today. Uh, so the pressure was completely different in my day. Um, it was only part-time. I had a full-time job, so it was only part-time. So, the, you know, uh, I think people, as years went on, the expectations grew, but uh, there was no real pressure. I never got nervous. Today, um, the pressure is there, the big money's there, so uh, when the money is there, certainly there's going to be a lot of pressure because you've got to perform. Yeah. And, that, and that's really the difference uh, between today and uh, in my time. It's their full-time job, yeah. so they've got to perform, whereas mine was part-time. If I didn't perform, well, you know, so what? You rose to prominence in Australia as the leading sports person, not just sportswoman. It must have been quite revolutionary back in those days to have a sportswoman. I mean, there was people like, I guess, Raylene Ball, Dawn Fraser, yeah. as, uh, you know, prominent sportswomen. But you were named Sports Star of the Year, amongst other things, Australia-wide. You know, looking back on those days, um, did you feel like a trailblazer? Certainly for squash. I don't know particularly about women, women in sport, but most probably, yes, because the more publicity... You know, I got a, more publicity. It was for women as well, um, but for squash, definitely because um, although it was a huge game, we really didn't get a lot of publicity. Yeah. So for women in squash in those days, it was it was a good thing that I was able to do what I did. Um, but really and truly, no, I really Tim, I didn't think that much about it in yeah. those days yeah. it's only in the latter days that um you know things have changed when when you're getting paid and, and it's not equal pay you know so the women are 
uh, got to get up there more and stand up for themselves. I didn't feel I had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you understand, I guess, why they're having to do that now? Oh, definitely, yeah, without a doubt. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's their full-time job and um, they're, they're doing the same thing, basically, yeah. You've been successful in four different sports worldwide. Do you, do you think, well, if I was coming through today, how different it would be? Would there be pressure, do you think, just to play one sport? Oh, I wouldn't have been able to play four sports and do what I did in the four sports, no, no. And certainly I couldn't have started... I don't think you can start at 18 in any sport today yeah. and do what I did in squash, you know, starting that late... In, in your life. Um, no, I think um, to reach the top in those days, because it is so professional, um, you really do have to make a decision and then um, decide which sport you're going to going to do and carry on with that. Uh, different pressures, aren't there, on sportswomen these days? Oh, yeah, you, you know, um, it's just not playing the sport. It's the whole, whole picture, yeah. promoting yourself promoting the sport um, promoting it for the for the young people um, so there's a lot more in um, being a top sports person male or female today because in your day it was very much amateur you, you had to raise funds to go overseas you won 16 British Opens in, in a row so you had to fund or find the funds to get over there to ensure yeah. that you remained an amateur. Yes, yep, and I also had to take um, the two months or six, or nearly two months um, without pay most of the time. So um, every time I went to England, it cost me money. Um, yeah, so it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Um, but, you know, I think um, when you love something, um, yeah, you, you know, you make the effort and uh, you, you go about and you try and do it. Yeah. You're still playing tennis four times a week socially, still playing competitions. What keeps you going at almost 80 years of age? I just love sport, I suppose. Anything with a ball, particularly. Um, I like um, the social aspect of sport. Uh, to me, that's always been a big part of sport to me. Um, squash, uh, very, very social. Um, the tennis I'm playing now is very social. Uh, I suppose I still got a little bit of the competitive side of me, um, but um, it's just being able to get out there and do it. Have you had a chance to to reflect? Is now the time to reflect on what you've done in your sporting life? No. no. When you go through the photo <laughs> albums, or <laughs> uh, I don't personally. But if somebody asks me something and or tells me something, I think, oh yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, or, yeah, I didn't expect to do that. But no, very rarely do I reflect on it, no. Yeah. Is that surprising to people? That, you know, you sort of... Because you're not one to promote yourself, are you? You're sort of quite happy just to do what you do? Yeah, yeah no, I, I do my own thing and um, I, don't, uh, I don't try and get out there and get any publicity and never have done. Um, but um, I'm very proud of what I've done, you know, um, and if I ever do think about it, I think, yeah, you know, it's, I, su- I suppose, to have done what I've done in the four sports is, is the biggest thing. Not just what I've done in squash, but because I've done as well in, in all sports, yeah, that's most probably what I reflect on more. What's your favourite sport? Squash. Squash with tennis, tennis. See, tennis was my first sport, so 
I, I was very happy to come back to that. But as I said, I, if I could, if I was able to be to be able to play squash, I, I really believe I would still be playing master squash. Not hockey. Not racquetball? No, 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 no. Hockey, that, uh, gave that away a long time. Racquetball, I've never played back here in Australia um, because when I came back, I was just uh, with the Institute and I was too busy. Yeah. And they didn't have the... When, when I went to Brisbane, they didn't have the the, um, the proper-sized racquetball courts, which yeah. is um, the big American-sized racquetball courts. They were playing a lot of um, racquetball on, on the squash courts at that time. And... Um, that wasn't for me. Um, yeah. So, no, I never went back to racquetball when I came back to Australia. But uh, hockey, I played three years and then got too old and too busy. <laughs> yeah. right. So, just a, a chance, just yeah. to recap on your record 16 British Opens. First two official, uh, yeah, 16 British, first two official World Championships. Um, Three US pro racquetball, one US amateur racquetball, five Canadian racquetball, nine Australian singles championships and five doubles. This is in tennis? Tennis, yep. Uh, named in the All-Australian hockey team twice but never play, actually played for Australia. Uh, I think that's it. In your tennis, uh, in the tennis. Oh, in the, oh, in the tennis. Uh, I've represented Australia four times in, in uh, the world um, world championships in te- uh, tennis, seniors tennis. Won an individual singles and was a member of uh, wi- the uh, a, a winning team for the world winning teams championships. Yes. Not a bad record. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the world. <laughs> Heather Mackay and a reflection on a marvellous career. And as she said, uh, these days it would be impossible to achieve what she's achieved in four sports. More with Onside in just a moment. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Hello, I'm Tim Gable. Welcome back. Time now for From the Highlight Reel of the 2018 Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. One of the highlights wasn't a gold medal winning performance or a world record. It was an act of sportsmanship. Women's 10,000 metres, Lena Chaka of Lesotho finished five minutes after the winner and completed the last three laps on her own. And waiting for her at the finish line were three of her competitors, Australia's Madeline Hills, Eloise Wellings and Celia Sulohorn. And it was deemed to be the defining moment of the Commonwealth Games. And Madeline and Eloise join us today on Onside. Firstly, to you, Madeline, are you surprised that it still resonates after all these years? Uh, A lot of people still talking about that act of sportsmanship. Are you surprised? Oh, I'm very surprised. I think um, I think the aftermath of that race um, surprised me and continues to. Um, in the moment, Eloise, Celia, and I certainly didn't, you know, think it was something that was going to be captured or that was going to stay in the memory of so many people. Um, and to be honest, the the day after, I was almost a bit overwhelmed and um, a bit uncomfortable with the response. Um, and it's only been in the time that's passed I've realised what impact it did have and. Um, how, you know, uh, our performances as individuals, um, you know, wasn't what was going to be remembered. So, um, yeah, it, it continues to amaze me, the impact it has, but it's um, I'm, I'm very honoured to be a part of it. What about you, Eloise? What's your reaction after, you know, a few years now since the 2018 Commonwealth Games? Are you surprised that it still resonates? Uh, 
yeah, I am. I mean, it was it was such a spur of the moment thing, and and that's something that I guess um, was you know resonated with the Australian public, and it was I, I guess I was overwhelmed by it too. I I thought, you know. I was actually a bit um, worried about how Linnea was going to respond to all the attention about, you know, whether it felt weird for her to have all that attention. But um, I was really privileged to catch up with her in the village the next day. And um, and and the first thing she said to me was, thank you for waiting for me. And I, I got back to my room and let the tears fall because I did not have to finish the race alone. And um, and that really moved me. Um, and I, I think it was it, it was a, a moment that I guess uh, reminded me that it's not all about winning. <laughs> and there, there was so much more than going on in that race than than just winning a, a running race. And, you know, I, I had big plans for, for that race and big goals. And I'd, I had one of the worst races of my running career on a on a major stage. And um yeah, just seeing Madeline and, and Celia waiting there and, and, and going to join them um, was, you know, was a spur of the moment thing. And, yeah, as I said, we, we didn't expect all of the, the attention, but it was certainly um, it was certainly a, a moment that we, that we won't forget. Well, let's hear the highlight and uh, as we go back to, to listen exactly what happened on that day. Five on the Gold Coast and sometimes the great moments in sport don't come from the winners but have a look at that the three Aussie ladies Eloise Wellings Madeline Hills and Celia Sullihan just waiting for Linio Chaka of Lesotho to finish more than five minutes behind the winner Stella Chisang of Uganda that is what sport is all about supporting the competitors once you have finished up Yes, and I guess, Madeline, you uh, were quoted after the race saying that I'd like to think if um, I had that day there, there'd be somebody standing on the track for me. Uh, That's part of it, isn't it? Um, You're supporting somebody and and you'd like that reciprocated, I guess, if you were in the same position. Absolutely. Um, And and similar to what Eloise was saying, it was, um, I think when we reflect on it, you realise how much bigger sport is you know it's an individual sport that we do you sort of go out onto the track and you think you're all alone when you're out there Um, and in some aspects I suppose you are you're out there running by yourself but you start to see how many people are running along with you Um, and that includes your own immediate support Um, obviously we realize and you know it's such a privilege when you put on the green and gold to know it's Australia as well but um, it is also your competitors Um, and I think it's a good time for us to reflect but for other people to see too that um you know you're trying to get the most out of yourself but also from other people um and we've all had that day Elsie had it you know that day where she didn't get to run get to have the run that she was hoping for and and I had it only a few days later in the 5,000 meters um and I think in that moment sometimes you can feel very isolated um running around a track 25 times by yourself when you're having a tough day is you feel very exposed um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to think that there'd be people there and there absolutely have been people for me, whether it's a training session or a run or, you know, aspects of life that are off the track. Um, so, you know, my, my time will come where people might wait for me in a similar way. And, um, yeah, it was something that we didn't think about. But, um, yeah, I think it was just really uh, incredible that it was captured the way it was. Eloise, is it fair to say there is the, quite a strong bond amongst the distance runners that doesn't probably exist in some of the other fields? 
Yeah, for sure. I think that there's this this is mutual respect of of how hard our sport is, and it's not to you know um, lower any other sports, but but our event, especially distance running, it can it can be quite um, a lonely lonely and solitary journey at times. And I think when we all get together in the Australian colours, um, there's definitely a camaraderie and you know a mutual respect and a, and a mutual celebration of of um of actually just getting to the starting line um you know we do a high impact sport and the injuries and i I mean my injury journey has been um quite um quite significant so i think just getting to the starting line and you know um respecting each other's journey along the way and and celebrating each other is i think it's an important part of um of, of of performing well as well um, is working as a team and, and, and cheering each other on. What was the reaction from the team itself and, I guess, officials in the aftermath? Was there much of a reaction from, from inside the Commonwealth Games team? Um, do you want to answer that, Matt? <laughs> oh, I mean, in the comp- I think it was just... I think Eloise would have experienced similar to me. I, I just remember waking up the next morning um, you know, probably not having the greatest sleep because I wasn't wrapped in my own performance and waking up to just countless messages and, um, you know, things had gone viral on Twitter, the, the photos and, um, you know, requests from radio stations from, uh, for me, small towns and cities around the country that I'd spent time in that, um, you know, I had a connection with and just people asking what the motivation behind it was and, in the you know the first day or two, I really couldn't describe it because there wasn't a motivation behind it. Um, I don't think any of us realised there were going to be f- the cameras that were on us, and um, you know we would have thought that the cameras would go to the next event, and um, we certainly didn't know that it was it was going to be what it was. So I think we just had a lot of support from the outside community, but I think within the sport. Um, people were similar to us. They they didn't think it was that outstanding um, a moment. It was just us all celebrating each other. So, um, yeah, I, I think people were very supportive of it, but they didn't think it was anything um, extraordinary because most of us would do the same for the others. Mm. What about you, Eloise? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I mean, teammates, uh, teammates were kind of like, wow, um, you know, there's quite a lot of attention around this. And we were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's quite surprising. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I mean, from, from family and friends at home, they were obviously, um, very proud that we were part of that moment. But as, as I said, it could have been anyone. Um, and we were just doing what we, what we would always do in, um, in any other race. And it just happened that, you know, just so happened that there was a whole lot of cameras and a whole lot of people watching. So, um, yeah. And I mean, it doesn't make it any less overwhelming and less moving that people responded and the public responded like that. And it it just showed, I guess, um, the influence that we have as sports people and and the power of humanity and the power of vulnerability, I guess, as well. Um, it takes vulnerability to finish a race like that for Linneo to uh, when, you know, things aren't going well and to run the last three laps on our own. It's, as Madeline said, you're very exposed and it's and it's a vulnerable position to be in. And, um, yeah, so 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still moved by it, and I'm still surprised by it. There's all yeah, these right. all these different views around it. Yeah. yeah. Can I get from both of you just before we wind it up? Um, over two years on from that moment, where are you both up to now in, in your running careers? Well, I'm I'm just coming back from having my second child, um, Sonny. So I, yeah, he's ten months old now, and yeah, I'm just building up, running. Um, have had a few little hurdles to jump over the way uh, over the the last few months of being back, but I'm progressing nicely now, and I'm hoping to qualify for um, the Tokyo Olympics, whether it be for the five k or the the ten thousand meters on the track. So. Um, should yeah, things open up hopefully soon, and um, in terms of the COVID virus um, settling down and and things getting back to um, a more normal situation, hopefully um, some races will will start, and yeah, we can get on with things. Have you been able to train? Yeah, I've I've been able to train. I'm from Sydney, so I've been able to train. Um, I've got a pretty good setup in in my garage and um, with a treadmill and and things like that. So even during um, like harsh lockdown, I was able to train on the treadmill and yeah. What about you, Madeline? Yeah, similar to Eloise, the last two years have been um, you know eventful off the track. I haven't created a child in that time, but um, for me, <laughs> my uh, my challenge in 2019 was to have um, double hamstring surgery. Um, but uh, and that's all progressing really well. And I'd also love to to be at Tokyo, fingers crossed it, it goes ahead. Um, for me this year, I guess I've put a lot of my energy into um, into working in pharmacy. So I'm a pharmacist and it's been a very interesting year um, with COVID and all the pressures and uh, I guess demands put on the healthcare system. So um, I've really enjoyed being able to to focus on that and and I guess get, you know, my achievement from that, which obviously we weren't able to get this year with everything being cancelled. Um, I was going to say one of my favourite things really about the moment on the Gold Coast was it really gave me the chance to see the impact running can have, but also that that will be one of the defining moments of my running career. I think we're so inclined to list off our PBs and our achievements and how many teams we went to. Um, mm. And I've always done that until that moment. And um, it was really only the next year when I, you know, sat down in recovery with both my legs sliced open mm. <laughs> that I realised, wow, I really, you know, should appreciate that and should be proud of what we did as a part of that. Um, because as much as both Elsie and I'd love to be in the next Olympic team, um, you know, we might not be. Um, And so it's really great for us to be able to to have some, you know, special moments um, that aren't just about our performance. Yes, uh, really one of the defining moments of the Commonwealth Games, probably one of the defining moments in Australian sport. You look at the Ron Clark incident many years ago, people still talking about that. And I guess that is part of Australian sport. We love these moments, these special moments, and well done to both of you. Thanks very much for joining us on Onside today, Madeline and Eloise, and uh, yeah, and well done, and um, all the best for the future. Thanks very much. That's Madeline Hills and Eloise Wellings joining us today on Onside. Thanks so much. See you later. Thanks for having us.
Welcome back to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. We've been joined by Michael Crooks, General Manager, Performance Pathways and Player Development with Baseball Australia. Well, Michael, firstly, welcome to Onside. How has COVID impacted on your sport? Oh, look, it's it's been uh, very mixed right across the country. Um, with the timeline in which it, it first hit Australia, um, it was certainly at the back end of our summer season. We did lose a, a number of, of local competition finals um, as a result of that. Um, and unfortunately, our, our key uh, events that normally would occur from March through to pretty much September uh, had to be cancelled. They included all our National Little League events um, as well as our Women's National Championships. So very disappointing to lose those events. Um, but with the exception of, of Victoria, uh, we're certainly cranked, <clears throat> excuse me, cranked back up again and, um, and we're playing baseball pretty much business as normal around the majority of the country right now. Baseball is quite a unique sport in Australia because of its international focus. Very big in Asia, it's huge in America. Does that present a a unique challenge, do you think, to baseball in Australia? Uh, Look, being a smaller sport in Australia, um, there's perennial funding problems that we have or challenges um, compared to the bigger sports and and the international success that our our, our bigger partners here in Australia have had. Um, however, you know we we have historically punched above our weight uh, in terms of international performance and and um, there's been a lot of local support in particular through um, Sports Australia over the last six months in particular in, in what we can do moving forward. The, the the key positive for us being part of such a massive international sport is that uh, we can build very strong relationships uh, with partners overseas, uh, which can provide layers of support that just aren't available for us uh, here in Australia. For example, uh, with the area that I oversee uh, within our play development and performance pathways, uh, we have relationships with organisations such as Driveline Baseball, Rapsodo and Blast Motion, who are uh, technological organisations and data organisations in the United States that complement um, what our training programs look like here in Australia and their resources that would, are only available for the sheer fact that the baseball is so large internationally. Just uh, following on from that, of course, Major League Baseball in America and their anti-doping policy there compared to uh, what Australian baseball is uh, subjected to under the guidelines, there's a massive difference. And I guess when you've got Major League Baseballers coming from America playing in Australia, um, how how do you deal with something like that and the difference that there is uh, currently between America and Australia on this? Yeah, it it is very different. Um, it has gotten a lot better in recent years uh, in the way in which anti-doping practices are addressed within professional baseball in the United States. Um, the biggest catalyst for compliance and appropriate behaviours in America is based around you know the sheer financial losses of, of players being suspended um, if they do uh, return positive results. For example, a first offence uh, is a mandatory 50-game suspension, second offence is a 100-game suspension, the third offence is life. Um, but if you're earning $20, $25 million a year, um, a 50-game suspension is in the magnitude of millions of dollars of uh, you know, equivalent of a fine for that player. Now, it's not the the four years that you get under the WADA code, which which we're compliant with, um, but uh, it's certainly a lot better than what it was 
15, 20 years ago where it was basically a slap on the wrist for those kinds of behaviours. For players coming out to Australia, uh, we have an agreement with Major League Baseball and and, uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association, which is a very powerful uh, athlete union. Um, The players do have to abide by the the WADA code, um, which we are required to for the Australian Baseball League, um, and players are subject to the requirements and sanctions um, set out within that code uh, whenever they're playing here. So basically, if you're playing in Australia, you're playing under our rules, and we make zero exceptions for that. What about the integrity factors of sports betting, match manipulation, match fixing? Is that a real issue at the moment for baseball, given that you have a huge Asian component? We know that Asia is very big when it comes to sports betting. Yeah, it is a significant risk for us, and it's one we watch very closely. It's probably the one element which um, I work uh, most closely with, with Sports Integrity Australia on at this time of year as we're moving into our Australian Baseball League season, which historically kicks off in November. Um, and that is primarily due to the fact now that um, sports betting and betting on baseball is now legal in the, in the United States. Up until last year, that was not the case. Um, so we didn't have any markets that could or or any uh, legal markets that were really influencing outcomes from the United States, whereas we know that there's a huge betting culture out through Asia and and through our work with Sports Integrity Australia and via Sports Radar, uh, we're able to keep pretty close tabs on what that betting market looks like. And it has increased exponentially over the last two years, in particular with Geelong Korea, being in the Australian Baseball League, um, and we just we we do a lot of checks and balances behind the scenes to ensure that, or to our best of our knowledge, that the players coming out uh, and playing in our leagues here uh, have gone through an appropriate betting process where uh, we can minimise the risk um, that their performance have been influenced. Yes, there is enormous interest, isn't there, in Australian baseball in Asia, given the Geelong Korea experiment, which has been highly successful. Yeah, look, we've we've gone from um, basically being a domestic league with a little bit of reach into into North America um, up into 2018 to a scenario where, um, uh, you know, for Geelong career alone, we had 20 million viewers of their games uh, each of the last two years. Um, we're looking at uh, a number of um, I guess TV distribution uh, arrangements with our games to to get that spread even further uh, through Asia and through North America, and that's predominantly centred around the interests that Geelong Korea has created, as well as uh, Auckland, um, which came into the league at the same time as Geelong Korea for the 2019 season. You mentioned a moment ago you are the general manager, performance pathways and player development. Uh, one of the unique factors in baseball. There are a number of unique factors, uh, but one is the the recruitment of very young players from Australia into major leagues such as America. Uh, And I guess there is a fair bit of management involved there because you're getting young players being offered huge amounts of money. It is tricky. Um, And it's it's one of the the areas that um, we're actually trying to grapple with right now and what's the right path for for talented young players. Um, We'd be foolish to um, think that um, that a talented young player is going to turn down you know, significant sums of money um, that are on offer to, to them and their family for uh, for taking up some of these opportunities at a young age. Um, but when we assess our young talented players, we don't just assess, 
their ability to perform on the field. Uh, we also assess their their, their personal characteristics characteristics in terms of their preparedness um, to be able to cope with the environments they're going into uh, within these these deals that they're having with professional clubs. Uh, are there avenues to ensure that uh, there is funding for higher education when their um, when their professional career is done? So, for argument's sake, we can put in place, or the, the families can put in place. Uh, caveats where there is some money that's reserved or additional money put into their contracts to, to pay for the university tuition at the end of their career. Uh, we can also negotiate outcomes such as they don't depart Australia to go into those environments until they're finished high school. Um, so I guess there's a number of, of, of steps that we can put in place to try and protect the player as a person, um, as well as balancing um, the fact that these are young players. They're not seniors yet. They're not um, elite performers yet. They're developing players and managing the workloads and expectations for these young players um, is really, really critical to make sure that they get the most out of their opportunity when they do finally get over to the United States, as opposed to sending them over as a 16-year-old with no support mechanisms, no safety nets for them, uh, and basically leaving them you know, to the wolves, so to speak, to try and survive in what is incredibly cutthroat world of professional sport. How do you see baseball evolving in years to come, you mentioned there, obviously, the young players going overseas, the importance of player development. But how do you see your sport developing and evolving here in Australia? Yeah, I see uh, two very clear uh, changes that will be occurring uh, in the short to medium term. Uh, one is that um, the technological advancement of player assessment has increased remarkably over the last five years. Uh, through the support of Sports Australia, um, we've been able to, in inverted commas, tech up over the last six months, um, and we're in as good a position as anyone in the world now to um, to appropriately develop these talented young players in Australia for better outcomes down the track. Um, but that gets dovetailed against um, some of the real challenges that we're seeing in North America right now, some um, caused by COVID, some others caused by some restructuring of professional baseball, where it, it appears that there's going to be a significant cut in the number of teams uh, within the minor league baseball system, which feeds into the major league baseball. Um, so there's going to be less places for our players in the future. Um, but what that does is that really opens up the doors for opportunities for our players to go through the college system. Um, and we've, we now have a, um, a dedicated resource um, on board uh, in a gentleman named Andrew Riddell, whose entire focus is around uh, transitioning players into and out of US environments, whether it's professional or college, um, and, in, and building the relationship with colleges in particular uh, to create uh, better opportunities for our, our kids, in particular if, if this minor league um, retraction of teams does occur in the future. Yes, it represents a massive opportunity for young baseballers here in Australia, not only to go to America and play, but also to study as well. Michael, thanks very much for joining us on Onside today and for providing a great insight into, into what is occurring in baseball at the moment. A pleasure. Thank you very much. And now for our segment from Left Field, where we answer a question from the public. Hi, I'm Bron Knox, triple Olympian, water polo player and clean sport educator with Sport Integrity Australia. The question I have from Left Field today is, if one person in the team returns a positive test, does the whole team get tested? 
My answer to this question would be, it would depend on the circumstances relating to the doping activity, including what the sport was and whether or not there was information suggesting complicity. If there is information around a positive test, that suggests that more than one athlete may be doping. Further testing and investigations may occur. In some sports, if a person tests positive, then the whole team's results are disqualified. So it's important to understand that your choices could affect your entire team. Well, thanks for listening to Onside. If you'd like more information, simply head to the Sport Integrity Australia website for more details. And we have a lot more exciting guests and topics coming up in future episodes. So don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening from. We appreciate the support. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Gable. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au, or check out our Clean Sport app.